Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of Disneyland, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Teddy Mouse, how you doing? <laughs> Good. Hey, I'm, I'm obeying my daughter, who's running the show over here. I got my Mickey ears on. Never thought I'd be wearing Mickey ears. Not too many people thought I would ever have Mickey ears. I think I could remove them now, but I am in Disney. So it's okay to be a kid and to be Mickey um, when you're in Disney with your grandchildren. So um, I wish I could show you. I'm looking at zebra, wildebeest, um, giraffes, right in right in my backyard here, Disney's backyard. You're in the hotel that's right in the middle of their uh, wild kingdom, animal kingdom. Animal kingdom. I got a balcony that you can't see, and then right behind you, you go outside and you got the giraffes. You know, I could feed them. They could reach up here, and and I could feed the giraffes. Well, no, you actually, they got me probably high enough where the giraffe would have to kind of be on the stuff that Baby Mello used to take. <laughs> if I know you, they got you in the presidential suite over there, the Disney people. No, we all got rooms, and my daughter... My daughter's running this show, and let me tell you something. General Pat got nothing on my daughter, Nicole Atlas. She she knows how to really organize things and, and run the troops. If it wasn't for her, we, we'd never get through a day. She got us out every day, 8 o'clock in the morning. She's got a whole itinerary, what we're going to do, every ride, what time we're going on the rides, you know, when we're eating lunch, when we're eating dinner, where we're eating, um, you know, Everything. I probably walked about 400 miles. At least it feels like it. Uh, you 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 do a lot of walking in Disney. We're blessed. I got my whole family: Teddy, his son, uh, his wife, uh, Nicole, and his, of course her husband Jeff, and and the good two grandchildren I got with them. That everybody's just just having a great time. And I had I had sent out a tweet with a picture of us. And I just said, I don't do too much family tweeting, to be honest. It's all business. It's all work. But this one I did. And I just said, look, with all the technology, with, with all the you know, bells and whistles, everything that's here in Disney World, I, once you're here, it's easier to figure out where the magic comes from. It's the children. It's the kids. They, they, make, it, they make it a magical place. Just the amazement in their eyes. Just, just the excitement, the combination of just stark amazement, seeing all their TV, you know, character friends come to life. And they give me, oh, my goodness. I mean, uh, you know, if I, if I die tomorrow, and I'm saying this, of course, you don't lose, but if I die tomorrow, I'm okay. Because I saw my grandchildren so happy that – I, there's nothing that could be better. When I saw we had a we had an audience, a private audience with Mickey Mouse, and when my granddaughter went up and hugged Mickey Mouse with the biggest smile in the world, and and just kept looking back at us as she's hugging Mickey Mouse, and then the and then my grandson little Teddy and uh, Joseph hugging Goofy and all the other guys and giving a high five in them. 
listen, like we say on Staten Island, forget about it. It's, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's just we're blessed. Well, if it's possible, Teddy, my wife loves you even more than she did before when she saw you guys with the uh, with all the same T-shirt on the team uniform. She said, this is why I love Teddy. He does whatever his daughter tells him to do. He's out there in his red matching T-shirts. She said, would I ever get you to wear a matching red T-shirt? I said, look, probably if the chips were down, I would do it, but I would protest like hell not to do it, but I would if I had to. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if my wife could have got me to do it. My daughter, <laughs> that, that's Good point. a little different. Good point. I love, love them both, but that's a little different. And, and like I said, I, I love your family. You have a beautiful family, your wife, everybody. Tell them I said hello. But, you know, when you have a General Patton to call, <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't argue with General Patton. You know what? You know what? One thing a lot of people should know that, like, the lengths that we go through to keep the show on a steady on a steady cadence. And listen, I'm not trying to suggest that we're like moving mountains or curing cancer, but we show up every week. Teddy's in Disney. It's a Sunday night. So last night when we were in, we were in Florida down on the uh, panhandle for the kids spring break. And I knew we had to be back here for 4 PM to start. Cause I'm on central time. So I said to my wife yesterday, I'm like, why don't we just eat dinner when the kids are about to go to bed? Let's just put them in the car and I'll drive through the night. Because if we get up at eight, it's like a six, seven hour drive. I'm like, I can't be, late teddy's in disney so we drove through the middle of the night to get here on time Thank you. so that we could do this but listen that's the same thing you guys did the same thing when you guys did the same thing when i was in tokyo recording it like late in the night we had sam over there at rush hour but the point is to the people is like listen when you're on a part of a team you do what you have to do to like make the thing happen and make it, you know, we've got to be dependable. No one's going to fire us if we don't do it. But sometimes in life, you just have to be accountable to yourself. Have some integrity, show up and do your job. And doing this show every week for the last several years is a good reminder. Like, hey, my, my wife and the kids know I, they just came in from the store. So I was just frantically texting my wife. Tell Cameron if he yells mom one more time, I'm going to come out there and put a boot in his butt. Stop screaming. I'm recording. Anyway, I digress. No, no. I tell your family thank you for doing that. Driving oh, they night. love you. Thank you. And I appreciate it. And we all film it on Sunday for the people there. Usually we film on Mondays. We did it just to Sunday. Yep. Um, Ken, Ken made the sacrifice to change it to Sunday because... Uh, General Patton would, would be upset. <laughs> but you also have done this for me many times. We that's what we do. You like make it work. It's not a it's not a it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of okay, how are we gonna get it done? Sunday was a lighted day. He get, she gave the army a day off. <laughs> she gave you some free time? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, tomorrow <laughs> we're right back. Tomorrow we're right back, you know. Right back to the schedule, uh, early in the morning, <laughs> bang out there, you know, doing all the rides. You know, she's got everything. Like I said, she's got everything, appointments, everything. Um, I'll tell you one last thing about Disney. The Obviously, the people that run this place, they know they have a captive audience, and they know one thing. 
you will do anything for your children, Ken. That's and right. You, anything. <laughs> and that means they can gouge the crap out of your price <laughs> To the tune, you ready? I know people yep. are going to laugh, where they can charge $7 for a Snickers bar. Now, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's absurd. It's absurd. Every time I get something like that, I'm like, hey, do me a favor. Can you punch me in the face too? Just rub salt in my wound. You want to ask them, did I break a window? What are you talking about, $7? They know. They know they can. <laughs> they, they just know they can. What they charge in these parks and everything else, uh, from water to, <laughs> you know, to Snickers bars, they, they just, they know that a parent will do anything for their child. And, you know, and that's it. So anyway. Well, Teddy, before we get, before we get, before we well, say anything well, no, else, no, if no, you're no, down no. there, wait a minute. If you're down there eating Snickers bars and stuff, the one thing that I want to make sure you're doing, and I know you are, is taking your Athletic Greens. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Atlas. The promo code is Atlas. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Atlas. And for your next trip to Disney, they'll send you 10 of these free travel packets. You mix them in about 8 to 10 ounces of water. I only use a little bit of water because I like the way it tastes. And drink it down. You're going to get 75 whole food sourced ingredients. So even if you're in the park eating hot dogs and candy bars all day, if nothing else... Make sure you're getting all your vitamins and minerals to prevent you from getting sick. Teddy, especially if you're going to be around an army of children. Those guys spread germs like it's going out of style. So please make sure you're taking your Athletic Greens every day, especially when you're on the road. Athleticgreens.com slash Atlas. 10 free travel packs. Sorry, Teddy. Go ahead. No, Athletic Greens is the healthiest thing here in Disney, and it's only because (laughs) Teddy Atlas has it here in Disney. Only because you imported it. Yeah, it's the healthiest thing. And let me tell you, it's a lot healthier, but it's also a lot cheaper than the other stuff that they're pushing over here. Um, the other thing before we get started, you know, the NCAA basketball, March Madness is officially here. You know, it, it's crazy. I don't have time to watch games. I'm with the kids and all. But I get a peek at a few of the scores and a few of them late at night. I get to look at stuff. And March Madness Really, that's an appropriate name. You talk about man. Oh, right away, number so one, bang. Good. Number one, Purdue, boom. Seven foot four center, number one in the country. Bang, gone, finished. Fairly Dickinson from New Jersey. Yeah, right away, bang, knocked out. Uh, all right, I mean, they didn't waste any time living up to their name of March Madness. Teddy, Friday was one of the best days I've ever had watching sports with my kids. I'm we're not a big basketball family, but we were watching March Madness, and I was explaining to them the significance of a 16 beating a one and a 15 beating a two. Princeton, my father-in-law went to Princeton. He was so happy. Again, not a huge basketball family, but we were Teddy. We were jumping around screaming in a game we had no connection to whatsoever. I said to Shelby, I go. This is so. This is what I love about these those first two days, Thursday and Friday of March Madness, when the 16s get a chance to beat the ones. Only happened two times in history. What a friggin' thing! And you, UConn, UConn is our official team of this family. All my kids. Every time there's a game on, they're like, Dad, who are we? My kids, Dad, Dad, who are we rooting for? I said, I don't really care about any of these teams. I just want to see a good game. But with this one, I said, okay, guys, our official team is UConn. Teddy's friends with the coach, so we're pulling for UConn. So now the kids are all on the UConn bandwagon. Friends with the coach, and I talked to the team. And and I I text Danny. Danny texted me a couple hours ago. He's the coach, great coach. Comes from a great, you know, just to forget about it, a 
uh, a royal Dynasty. family of, yep. yeah, of, of basketball geniuses and, and people. But he, um, I'm, I'm praying for him. I'm rooting for him. Uh, UConn, you know, they, they got the toughest bracket in the West. There's, I'll there's tell no you what, Iona, Iona was Iona was no cupcake, man. Uh, what do you call it? Patino had his team ready to go. It was touch and go early in that game. I was nervous. But they pulled it out. No doubt. And um, they got another tough one today. They're all tough. They're all tough uh, yep. at this point, obviously. But they got another tough one. And talking about the Melch, man, I mean, Arizona, number two, bang, they get knocked out. Yep. Um, Kansas, another number one. Number one, bye. Two number ones gone, two, one number two gone. And you you just said it. For me, the Cinderella team is Princeton. Um, oh, yeah. I, and, and the only thing that pisses me off about Princeton, it's a beautiful story. I don't have them in my freaking <laughs> pools and brackets. Look, I'm from Staten Island. Yeah, we got pools for everything. Not only football, <laughs> but we got pools for NCAA. Yeah, we do. And we also have where you can pick the final four and then you pick the winning, you pick the final total score for a tiebreaker. You, we got those. And I don't have any Princeton. So there's... They're scaring the hell out of me. I know they've already destroyed a lot of brackets for people. Destroyed it. They blew out number seven Missouri after knocking off the number two, uh, the number two team. I'm really worried that they could knock off my number one, which is Alabama. I'm, I'm worried they could knock them off too because my son pointed out to me they're not only not only are they you know a well coached team, but they and a disciplined team. But they're athletic. Yep. They're more athletic than people ever gave them credit for. And they could they could shoot the hell out of the ball, but they got guys down in the paint that can freaking control the paint and get the ball in underneath and get the rebounds too. It's almost worth losing a bet to see no, a Cinderella story lose. like I that. My wife laughs at me all the time because sometimes I make emotional hedge bets. Like if the Patriots are playing in the Super Bowl when they played the Giants, I had the Patriots to win the Super Bowl from the beginning of the season at like 14 to 1 or something. So when they were in the Giants I'm like I gotta hedge this I gotta put a few grand on the on the money line on the money line so I can either lock in like I think I locked in a six grand win or I could have won like 14 grand so I was like I, I have to do this but it was painful take some of the sting out of it that makes betting <laughs> sense that just that's just good business but um the last thing I want to talk about Princeton is I love the attitude of their players and their coach where they have that mantra going, nothing is impossible. And That's you know right. what? I just, I tell you, it's the perfect model, obviously for for that, obviously for March Madness tournament, but for all of us, you know, if if history has taught us anything, it should be just that. Look, I mean, look at the amazing people in this country. It's funny that a basketball team has to remind us or. So, I'm sure we remind ourselves of it in other ways, but sometimes that they can remind us of that, of all the amazing people, what they've done, you know, just with courage and conviction for what they believe. And they go and they, they've done some impossible things like walking on the moon. And I was jotting that down to myself. And then all of a sudden it hit me. Yeah, that's incredible that we walked on the moon. Whoever thought we could have done that, but, how about just people walking on earth again 
that doctors had told him they would never walk again. I mean, that's what you can do when you have that mantra, when that's your motto, to say there's nothing impossible. We should all remember that, all of us. And and again, maybe we're reminded of sometimes in sports, you know, just a thing like that. Whatever it is, it's a good thing. It's a good yeah. thing that nothing is impossible. And the one thing I added on my list is even like uh, a 50-plus-old Ken running a two-and-a-half minus or sub-two-and-a-half-hour marathon. That, uh, you know, that's that's another damn good one that made my made my list. Um, man, I hope I, – I hope Princeton – look, it's hard to – after saying that, it's hard to root against Princeton. It really is. <laughs> but, but you know what? I, 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 I want to win my bracket. All right. Let's get to, <laughs> let's get to talking about – you know, all right. Let's hit let let's let's hit the act, activity in boxing over the weekend. Gilberto Gilberto Ramirez was um, scheduled to fight. He fought. Uh, he was supposed to fight. Give me one. So let me make sure I get the name right here. Um, while I pull it up, he basically Gilberto Ramirez. Ken, how do you come in seven and a half, whatever the hell it was pounds? Uh, he was going to fight Gabe, Gabe Rosado. So you know that this is a showcase for Ramirez. He's going to like tune up. Gabe Rosado is a game guy, tough as nails, but he's there to get hit. You know, listen, he's an old warhorse. I mean, uh, he's fought everybody, and and he's in there. He's in but there. he's on like he's on the he's on his farewell tour though, Teddy. He's like yeah. So Gilberto Ramirez by all his career. Look, everything is about your relativity of it. At this point in his career, Rosado has, as I often say, he's got a lot of miles on the odometer, and and he's shot one. I mean, but he's got he's got a name. He's got a name. He's the perfect guy for Ramirez. He's up in weight. He will. You know, he campaigned at a lower weight class. Anyway, r- r- it was clear what the what the fight was all about. He came in. Ramirez comes in seven and a half. So it was all about getting Ramirez back up with a win. Yep, exactly. So he's was gonna. He screwed up, but he screwed everyone involved, his trainers, Rome, uh, Rosado, everyone who was supposed to get paid, he screwed up. And you know, I guarantee you that uh, Rosado was like, I don't care if he's 100 pounds over, we're doing this, but it's I, I guarantee the athletic commission was like, nope, they, this is too much. We This is a bridge too far. No amount of money, we're not letting this happen because they knew you can look at that on paper and know what it is. Now you're going to give him a seven and a half pound advantage? Like you're going to get someone killed. I think that whoever made the decision made the right decision. That wouldn't have been healthy or good for anyone. What are your thoughts? We shouldn't be given, I, I agree, but we shouldn't have to be given accolades and medals out to people to do what their job is to do. Of course, 100%. But Yeah, but too often we do it because they don't do what they're supposed to do. Too often we'll see commissions that do allow these fights, do allow mismatch, and next week it'll be another mismatch somewhere that's allowed, that somebody's put in danger because the commission doesn't do their job or an appropriate job uh, for, for what they're there for, to make sure that the fighters are... Uh, uh, protected and looked out for. They're not going to do that. And, you know, uh, who at the end of the day, yeah, they they did the right thing. Uh, you know, maybe they were forced to do the right thing, but uh, who knows how much pressure was, wasn't on them. Uh, but at the end of the day, look, we, we, we knock people when they do the wrong thing. We will give them credit for doing the right thing. But again, I had to qualify it. 
by saying, boy, it's a shame in boxing. You got to give credit to people in boxing because they did the right thing because so often they don't do the freaking right thing. You know what else bothers me about that, Teddy? I feel like after, like, let's say three, four pounds, I don't even think it should be on the opponent to accept it. There should be a rule because what happens? No, because no, what happens is they abide but, by the rule. You can only but, lose a certain amount of your body percentage of your body weight. So, they, but you know, sometimes they put the opponent in the position where okay, he'll forfeit twenty percent of his purse if you take the fight. No, and it's now it's kind of like, yeah, but I don't even like when they let that kid make a choice because it's a no-win situation. All right, but it depends. There's a cutoff of weight. Like if yeah. he was four pounds over, they probably would have let that happen. But once it gets over that mark, whatever that mark is, I don't remember. I used to know. But whatever it is, and it's different in different states anyway. But once it gets over that that red line, if you will, uh, where, you know, the commission has, has deemed it inappropriate to allow them to fight now to make them lose that kind of body weight. Now the fight has to be canceled. But under that, they let them lose the weight. They let them go and lose. And if they don't lose the weight, as you said, they make a financial deal where the opponent will get, as you said, 20%, whatever it is, of the opponent's, you know, purse. But, um, and, and that's dangerous stuff. That's slippery slope stuff. There's no doubt about it. You remember when um, he, they, they both made weight, but I was talking to someone about this this morning. You remember when um, Arturo Gotti fought Joey Gamach and he put on, I, I want but he, he made weight, but the weight difference was so insanely different in the in the class of fighter was so different. He almost killed Joey Gamach. They stretched him out. I mean, it was, I think, I don't think he fought again. They yeah. sued the commission on that. And, um, it was, I was uh, at it was that a, fight in New York at the, at the theater. Oh, yeah, it was. It, I was there. It was scary. Former lightweight champ got hurt. And I'll tell you, it was not only almost tragic, but there was there was talk about that there was more underhanded stuff unscrupulous stuff that might have went on as far as the scale. So who knows? At the end of the day, I, I don't remember exactly how it was settled. I think Amaj won the lawsuit, but he didn't really get any punishment, money, or any punitive damages. damages, you know, money, whatever it was. I don't remember exactly. We could look it up if we have to and see exactly how it was settled. Um, I, I think, actually, my close friend and one of the lawyers for my foundation, Keith Sullivan, was a tremendous lawyer, tremendous man, tremendous person. Works for the foundation for years, pro bono, just like my daughter, just like David Berlin, also another one uh, that's involved in boxing. And he works for Dimitri Salida, the promoter uh, that's based now out of Detroit, but he's originally from Brooklyn, he was a fighter. Uh, he's doing a good job. But Keith Sullivan was involved in it. And again, I don't know exactly how it, it wound up being settled, but it, it, at the end of the day, Joey Gamash, when he got in the ring, Arturo Gotti, I think they they showed the weights um, where Gotti might have been, don't hold me to this, but he might have been close to 30 pounds heavier than him. I was going to say, tw I thought it was 21, but it could, yeah, it was, it was I mean, they look like two different they I mean, looked completely 30, different. Whatever. But, uh, you know, that he put on that much. So it, it begs to ask, did he put on that much, which is possible, with the water and he was dried out and he was dehydrated? Did he really, did he put that much weight back on? 
which apparently he did, or was part of it some funny business that ain't so funny as far as the legitimacy of the weigh-in. Yeah, Rob, Rob got us the official statement. Kamaj said he suffered brain damage as a result of the brutal knockout. He was hospitalized for 12 days. The case was tried and decided by Judge Melvin Schweitzer, who found the state negligent in its lax handling of the pre-fight weighing. Kamaj was not awarded any damages as Schweitzer was not convinced that the that the negligence was a substantial factor in causing Gamache's injury. Oh, interesting. Gamache considered the verdict a win as it acknowledged the New York State Athletic Commission's negligence. Yeah, no, I, I had it right. Um, so, yeah, but it's funny that a judge, that they found that, that they were negligent, that the commission was negligent in the way in, that means, I would think, doesn't that attach to that they put the fighter in harm's way. I would say that yeah. goes along, right? You don't have to be a lawyer, I don't think, to, it's so to kind of figure. You don't have to be the great Pedro, uh, 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 my my friend. Uh, Pedro Pedro Esquire. Yeah, you don't have to be him to, I think, and, and I'm sure he'll be watching us, to figure out that once the, they, the, they said that, you know, there was some um, negligence in the way that the commission, the, the New York Sports Athletic Commission handled the weigh-in. I would, I would attach that to then the, the negligent, they put, in other words, wouldn't that kind of automatically attach to that they put the fighter in harm's way? And if they put the fighters in harm's way, and he got knocked out, and he was hurt, which obviously he was, that there should be some, you know, punitive punitive, punitive. damage awarded for that injury, an injury that would not have occurred if the commission did their job, which is basically what the... What, to, you know what was settled and what was what, yep. what came came about from the hearing in uh, yep. the case. I don't know. <laughs> All right, we got to move on to the next topic, or we're gonna be here until uh, until the fights next weekend. Uh, next up, I wanted to get that's your thoughts. That's all right. I just have to feed the animals. That's all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want General Patton's gonna come in there and put a boot in your butt. Uh, next up, Jojo Diaz gets the win. They move him up to the main event. Sorry, Jojo Diaz gets upset against Mercedo Gesta, who was 33-3-3 coming into the fight in Long Beach. Uh, Jojo suffers his fourth loss. Thoughts on that one? No, I mean, listen, Jojo Diaz, you know, former champion, he, hey, he gets beat by a guy 33-3 and, and uh, you know, good for Gesta. You know, I don't. Um, uh, it was. It became a good opportunity for Jesse. Made the most of it. You know, and got boosted up to main event. He probably got paid a little more money, and he gets a win over a former champion. And uh, now he's. You know, he is a former champion, JoJo, right? Yes. Yeah. I think yes, he of course. And, yeah. and um, now he's going to get a payday. Well, you would. Yeah. You would assume he is. So I, I like seeing that. I mean, that's. That's always a good thing. Um, and then, uh, yeah, let's go to the next one. All right, next up, I want to try a new segment. Where are they now? 
In a, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts seemingly on uh, quite the match here. We've got Don King, now the promoter of Adrian Broner. Um, wow. Thoughts? Um, well, we talked about it earlier. And uh, you, I don't want, we stole each other's thunder already. <laughs> right? I we mean, basically, we, we basically said the same exact thing. Yeah, <laughs> if there was ever a match made in heaven, here it is. <laughs> and, and the only other thing I would add to that, because we both thought of that, and that I would add to it is, God really does have a sense of humor. <laughs> uh, the only thing that would be more appropriate is if in the concession stand they're selling bottles of uh, cure-all snake oil. I, I think it's perfect. It's, oh my <laughs> goodness. And of course, what did they do for a picture? When, when, they, when they brought it out as a promo picture that King, King is, you know, has signed a guy now, you know, and he's, he's out of, he's basically like, you know, out to pasture King for years now. He's got nothing, no, nothing going on in boxing anymore, really. For, for any, you know, to any, you know, to speak of. Obviously, he's got a few fighters here and there, and and I don't want to get into it too deep. But uh, the few fighters that were with him, they left him because they never fought. You know, because he, <laughs> he, he I mean, he's like I said, he's he don't have. You know, he's not involved like he was. You don't have everybody signed up the way he did, where he controlled boxing at one point. So now, you know, it's just a guy with, uh, you know, with a name and uh, and some hair, you know, that sticks up uh, higher than than the average hair, you know, with that <laughs> crown look that obviously that he came up with that he said was an act of God, that one day all of a sudden, ping, 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 <laughs> you know, started going up, whatever. Um, look, he's a character, grown as a character. Like I said, uh, God has a sense of humor. Uh, what's what's next? I know there's a few other on the bulletin board. Yeah, I wanted to see if you know where uh, where our man Big Baby Jarrell Miller's been lately. I'm hearing there's a sighting over in Dubai. What do you know about that? Yeah, he fought Saturday night in Dubai. He fought 43-year-old Lucas Brown. And uh, 43-year-old Lucas Brown... And Miller was 333 pounds. He wore it well, though, Teddy. He looked like a lean, mean fighting machine. <laughs> Are we looking at it? <laughs> We're going to get a look at it. Rob's going to pull it up. Here he is. He's got it. Here we go. There's big baby. Yeah, I don't think he's I don't think he's a threat to get any uh, supplement and supplement endorsements anytime soon. And he's getting hit by the forty three year old Brown. But Teddy, he's going life and death with Lucas Brown. Well, he stopped him in the six, but you're right. But let me tell you something. Wow, look at this. Um, if I <laughs> tough was, man if contest, I was, let's make believe I'm back in the commentator's seat again. All right, here it is. Yep. What would I say right there? I've seen bowls of jelly that move less than that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. I think that's enough. Um, that's more than that's more than enough on that topic. Uh, okay, that that's good. Um, uh, how uh, many over times the weekend, fail, how many times did that guy fail a drug test? At least at least three, and he keeps getting signed by promoters and then put on shows, main events. And listen, he only hurt himself. Let's be honest, because he went and he blew a five million dollar fight to to fight Joshua and. What happens? Andy Ruiz steps in. He's not exactly a guy 
who's who's on you know uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what is the name of that uh, diet? Craig, um, Jenny Craig. Yeah, he's not exactly on a Jenny Craig or athletic green diet. <laughs> he's not on any diet. Andy Ruiz, you know, he's on the seafood diet. I hate to yeah. be that corny, but he, yeah. he sees food and he eats it. But yeah. he he steps in, he gets that opportunity, he knocks out Joshua, he makes the five million dollar whatever they plus the re- Teddy plus the rematch. I bet he made. I bet. I bet that win. I bet that win. Andy Ruiz made like twenty million dollars. Well, I think a little less, but whatever. No, but w- that we know of, but I mean, there's also sponsorships. There's there's points on the pay per view. I don't know if it was the smartest one to get, but he got one with <laughs> Snickers. Snickers. Yeah, but here's the you thing: you can't is, make this. You can't make this stuff up. Only no. But he got his Snickers bar sponsor, and and I think that instead of getting paid, they gave him all the Snickers he could eat. I don't know. <laughs> it was a pro- product only deal. I have no idea. All I know is he was 280 pounds for the rematch. And, of course, Joshua won that that fight back. And um, there's one other that I didn't give you on the bulletin board, Ken, that I just realized. Hang on. Before we do that, I just want to get your thoughts. John Pascal in, in action again. He's getting up there in age as well. He... Uh, he forty years old. He lost the fight over the weekend to Michael Effort, who came in at 11-1 and um, gets the win. Listen, all I can say is Pascal's been shot for a few years. He's 40. How old is he? 40? 40 years old. 40 years old. He's been shot for a few years, to be honest. And he's got plenty of heart. He won on heart. He won some fights, but but his legs have been gone. He's been shot. I'm glad. I hope he retires now because he's got a lot of miles on the odometer, as I say. He's taken a lot of punches. And um, he's been a world champion. He's had a really terrific career. Um... But, you know, it's it's time. Maybe he got forced. Maybe this loss is good that he gets forced to retire. Because as I said, I look at him. My eyes don't lie to me. I've been in this business 50 years in this business. I've been watching him the last couple of years. And even though he's been hanging in there, which is remarkable, uh, he's a guy that, that, you know, that needs to be doing something other than taking punches for a living anymore at this point. Um, the other the other one that I wanted to tell you before we got on, I just realized I forgot, uh, was that Canelo, I guess, announced that he's defending his super middleweight title against John Ryder. I saw that. Thank. Oh, man, I've been waiting for that fight for a long time. I'm so excited for that one. I don't know where we should watch it. Maybe like rent out a bar or something. Johnny Ryder. I've been, I've been dying for someone to like dare to call his name. Yeah, I know. He's he's lost to Callum Smith, Rocky Fielding, Jack Armfield, Amfield. Um, he's also lost to Nick Blackwell and to Billy Joe Saunders. Hmm. Seems like a good seems like a good opponent then. Yeah, a lot of people question his loss to Callum Smith. But look, all joking <laughs> aside, all joking aside, if I'm not interested no more, Ken in this stuff to the overprivileged Canelo and the overrated Canelo. I, I give him credit. He's imp- He improved over the years uh, as a fighter, but he got gifts against Triple G the first couple. Uh, then he then he waits five years to fight him again or whatever to, to Triple G is like 84 years old. And <laughs> and then, I mean, you know, he... He loses. He loses like every round to Mayweather. 
Uh, I know that was earlier, but still, uh, he fights Lara uh, years ago. And I'll tell you, that, that fight could have could have went to Lara, but he's the golden boy, the golden goose that lays the golden eggs. So obviously they're going to, they took care of him. He's always got the benefit of the money, the benefit of the decisions, the benefit of being able to, you know, choose, bring his own music as the old times would say, bring your own music. He could always bring his own music, choose who his dance partner was going to be. But I, I'm not, and I give him credit. Look, I think he's overrated, but he's not the greatest Mexican fighter of all time. They've had so many, so many, so many great fighters. The Mexicans that say that, they don't know their own history. They just don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. They don't know their own history. But he's made zillions of dollars. You know, he's a good, solid fighter. There's no doubt he got by, beat by Bevo. I forgot to say that one. You know, he he got beat probably 11 rounds he lost. And, yeah, and sound- Yet they made it a closer decision, which shows you what they wanted to do. I'm not in. And look again, I'm I'm gonna be not careful, but I want to always be true to what I want to say. He's a good solid, good fighter, but he's not what they make him. And if he wants to be considered the way, if he wants to match up how his reputation, how he should be considered, match it up with the money he gets paid. He's got to fight better Venus. If he wants Teddy Atlas to say, yeah, okay, take my hat off. Take my headset off. Yeah, I give, yeah, you are better than I gave you credit for. Yes, you are. Go fight better Venus. You're 168. You put all the belts together when you build, you, you, or most of them when you fought Plant, you fought Saunders, those guys. I don't care about those guys. I care about better Venus. He's the best 168 pound. He's out there. Go fight him, beat him, and then uh, then I will. They will say yes, I was wrong. Yes, you deserve everything, but don't go around and be this overprivileged guy picking your spots and then put yourself out there as the greatest Mexican fighter of all time. You can't do that with me. Not with me. You're not going to get away with it. Yeah, yeah. Go fight better Venus. You know, you want to fight Bivo again? Don't fight him at 168. Fight him at 175. Don't handicap Bivo and, and fight him again. If, but that's probably not going to happen because they have the excuse of the weight that he was big. Okay, fine. So go. You have no excuse for that. You're the 168-pound champ. You want to be considered the, the, the best in that division right now? Beat Benavides, who's the other 168-pound division champion. That's it. That's all I got. While we're touching on that, we got Benavides, Caleb Plant. I was going to hit that after we hit the UFC, but while you're on the Benavides kick, I'm assuming you got Benavides. You got Benavides in that one. And for the guys that... um at my bookie let me just pull up the line here my bookie uh my go to mybookie.ag use the promo code atlas they'll give you 50 percent credit on your first deposit we got caleb plant coming in at a slight underdog uh sorry big underdog at plus 229 minus 344 on david benavidez talk to me what are we looking for in that fight before you give your pick i don't like to lay you know big wood so to speak but i, I i'd lay it I'm, I'm yeah. not only with it. What's the over under? Let me see if they've got the uh, the line here. Over under. All right. Over ten and a half plus one hundred seven. Under ten and a half minus one fifty. Yeah, well, I'm going under. I'm going under. I think Benavides oh, knocks him out. I think that he he's bigger. He's stronger. Um, 
Yeah, I give Plant credit. He's a good boxer. He's got plenty of heart. Um, and he was a champ. He's a champ. Uh, he was a champion. I give him credit. And he fought good, you know, with Canelo up to the point that he got stopped. Uh, but I think that he gets stopped also by Benavides like he did with Canelo, but a little earlier. Um, maybe a lot earlier, but definitely earlier. I think that Benavides, he's got the attitude. He's got the lineage, the, the fight lineage in his life and his family, um, where he comes from. Uh, you know, it's in his blood. Uh, he's got, like I said, the bloodlines. He, I mean, he. This is this is everything for him. I'm not saying it's not for Plant, but Plant already had his his chance to drink from the fountain, if you will, his moment. Uh, Benavides uh, has wants to have his. Yeah, he's got the title, but he wants more. He wants to get all the belts. I know he'd love to get Canelo. You know, he wants to get the recognition that he believes he can be deserving of. And the only way to get that is to get in the ring and beat somebody special. And that's why I'm sure he wants to get Canelo. But in the meantime, he'll beat a former champion, uh, you know, and get one step closer to one of those huge fights that every fighter looks for. Everybody looks for one of those signature fights that not only takes care of your family, but also helps your legacy uh, in the way that it does. I think that the way it's going to go, as far as a breakdown for the fans out there that want some, that are thinking about calling my bookie to bet on it, and they want me to give them a little direction for what it's worth, I'm not always right. I'm right, I think, most of the time, but not all the time, of course. Um, I'm all, like anybody else, plenty. But I still give you my reasons. My reasons are sound. Doesn't mean that it's going to come out that way, but I know that from my experience, why I'm picking them, as I said, bigger, stronger, he... Plant to win has to use the jab in his legs and and use the ring to control the geography of the ring on the outside and use every square inch of that ring. I don't think he can do it for 12 rounds and keep moving and not get broken down by the pressure that Benavides is going to bring. But here's the key for me, the jab. Because Plant to win, he needs his jab, Ken. He's got to out-jab him. He's got to, he's got to out-navigate him, out-maneuver him, you know, out-footwork him, uh, all that stuff. And Benavides has a better jab. It's longer, it's harder, it's straight, it's accurate. I, I think that he controls, once he controls plant with that jab on the outside where he, where he stabilizes plant and doesn't allow him to move, even if he hits him in the chest, doesn't allow him to move and dictate with ring generalship, so to speak. Once he starts doing that, and doesn't allow, he takes away the pot shotting ability, the combination ability of plant to pick spots on the outside, you know, and then hit dodge, get out of dodge. Ba, 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 boom. Ba, 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 boom. That's, that's what plant I'm sure is going to want to do and probably has practiced and trained to do and his mind is going to do. But in Benavides' mind, I'm sure, again, he's got good boxing people uh, with him. They're going to use that. They're not just going to look for the power shots. If they do that, then Plant can go some rounds. But I think they're going to use the jab. They're going to take away the jab of Plant. Once they do that, Plant, uh, Plant his, day's, his day's over. His night's over. Once they take that jab away, what's he going to do? And then, like I said, that is stabilize him. That is get him in front where he wants him. And then the other thing, the key after the jab, body work. I think Benavides knows that, you know, you put water in the basement, like I used to always say. You you go to the guy moves, 
Yeah, he's moving around, but you hit him in the body, what happens? It's like taking air out of the tires in a car. All of a sudden, he ain't moving. He ain't, you know, like like the uh, rage, like the Rage and Bull movie where where the guy says when he looks up at uh, uh, Jake Lamada after the fight, Jake Lamada uh, had just beat uh, Giardello, I believe it was, and and Giardello was a good looking kid, and everyone was talking about how good looking he was. Marciano didn't like that because Marciano's wife said, "Oh yeah, he's a good look." Oh, you think he's Lamada, Lamada? Yeah, Jake Lamada. He's yeah. his wife said, uh, "He's a good looking kid." Oh, you think yeah. he's good looking? All right. So he goes and he fights. <laughs> well, the movie made it this way. So he goes and fights him. And after the fight, Lamada was an underrated fighter, even though he was a world champ. He was underrated. Uh, his problem was Sugar Ray Robinson was around. He fought yeah. him six times. He, he beat him the first time. He was the first guy to beat Sugar Ray Robinson. But then he lost the other five. But some of them were really close. But anyway, the bottom line was Lamada was a over fighter. He beats him up bad. And then... Uh, uh, the wise guy at ringside uh, is looking up. He's looking up to one of the no, not Pesci, not his trainer brother, but but a guy who was playing Frankie Cobble, really, oh, yeah. a guy who ran boxing back in those days, uh, a mobster. He 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 looks up and um, one of his guys. I think it was him. No, I think it was him. He looks up and he sees Giardello all bloody, and he goes, "Ain't pretty no more." <laughs> ain't pretty no more so I think along those lines you know he ain't gonna be he ain't gonna be moving no more once once Benavides starts banging that body putting water in the basement taking air out of the tires and once he starts doing that and he starts to you know basically make him you know unable to use his wheels and he's yeah. in front of him well I don't have to tell you what happens next Benavides has what Crawford has a little bit too. He's like a mean guy. He's he has a mean streak in him where you're like, damn, this guy is like, he's angry. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a fighter. And Plant seems to have issues like big beefs with everyone he fights. Like they seem to be at each other's throat. Maybe that's his well, process. There's something which, going on now. I don't cool. want to get into it, but you you know it. There's something yeah. going on now that's out there with the gym that he was training in. The gym owners sending stuff yeah, out. Yeah, said internet. he didn't pay his dues. He says he did, but. I don't think you need Not those a good kind look of for things anyone. going on before a fight with Benavides. No, no. Not that you want that in your life at any time, but exactly. before a fight with Benavides, ah, I don't think Not so. so much. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into the UFC. I know you got to go see Mickey Mouse and the crew, and I don't want Nicole to call me and yell at me. Uh, let's start with the co-main uh, last night. Justin Gaethje. He already is- yelled at you. Listen, it's all <laughs> because no, she loves you guys, but she she already she already allowed me out today to do this. I mean, you know, <laughs> and and then believe me, I will pay tomorrow. I will, <laughs> I will pay, but you know what? There's no paying. There's, yeah. there's like I said earlier, it's it's just it's nothing but the greatest blessing in life that yep. I will be with my three grandchildren again tomorrow. And by the way, I got for one, and I know I've given a few accolades to Nicole, but I can never give her enough. Or my son, or my wife, or my son-in-law, or my daughter-in-law, or my grandchildren. But I got to say, what even if you don't hear it from me, how incredible Nicole is, 
the way she works, the way she takes care of her family. She's a lawyer. She works a full day. She takes care of her family, goes on a bus to Manhattan, comes back to Staten Island at, at night, feeds them dinner, gets them ready for bed, uh, reads them a story. I mean, if that's not enough, she's out here doing all of what she's doing here, right? Yeah. And she's, and she's, and I'll put it out there. I don't think everyone knew this. She's five and a half months pregnant. Oh, damn. I didn't know that. Congratulations to Nicole. We're going to have another granddaughter in, in, in July. In July. Wow. God, you know, thank God. So we, wow. I mean, she's, she's walking around. So every time I want to complain for a second, like when I was born, <laughs> and my feet were like really, really barking and, and yeah. screaming at me, right? And saying like, Teddy, are you stupid? And, and, I, and my lower back and everything else. And I'm walking and I was about to, you know, want to slow down. And she's always ahead of me. I look and I see her belly protruding and I say, <laughs> Teddy, shut up and keep walking. <laughs> wow, that's big news. Congratulations to the whole Atlas family. Uh, grand, grandfather for the fourth time. That'll be exciting. New babies are awesome. They're like puppies. It's so oh, great we're, to have them around. It was, it was <laughs> like puppies. We're so blessed. Everyone loves a puppy. <laughs> hey, all right, listen. Co-main, Justin Gaethje in tough Rafael Faziz, they go like back and forth, life and death. Incredible fight, but Justin Gaethje does what Justin Gaethje does. Banging all night. It was an incredible fight. Justin Gaethje gets a decision. Uh, official scorecards read 29-28, 29-28, and 28-28. Decision goes to, uh, majority decision goes to Justin Gaethje. How'd you like that fight? Speaking of Animal Kingdom, (laughs) <laughs> which is where we are, right? Yeah. Both of those fighters, Gagey and Faziz, they both are really true beasts. They can fit in here anytime. Anytime. Yep. There are no beasts here that could outbeast those guys. And I want to say, John Anik, the great look. First of all, I've said it, I'm consistent. I've said it before. And UFC has commentators announces that. There's nobody better. I mean, really, bar none. There's nobody better between DC and Rogan and, and Bisping and, and uh, I mean, just one after another. Anik runs the show, of course, as the blow-by-blow guy. But he was on our show. And and and, the, and Megan Kelly, uh, Megan... Um, Olivia. Am I saying? Uh, yeah, uh, she's just tremendous. All of them. All of them. I'm, I'm not thinking of if you were shot, just one after another. It's like, it's you can't go wrong. It's like a murderer's row of just great commentators. Truly is a, actually, it is a murderer's <laughs> row because they could all beat the crap out of you on top of being able to, you know, talk to sport. But Attic came on our show. If you haven't seen the interview, go and see it. He was on last week. And I got to say it, John Attic hit it on the head when he was on the show last week, and he said that he can't see Gagey being this kind of underdog to Fazeev. As as much as Fazeev is an explosive, dangerous, younger guy, he just can't see that line. And he was so right. I mean, if you would have listened to him and you would have called my bookie, <laughs> bang, you, you, you would have been in. Because it turned out, and I tweeted it, it turned out that the, on this one, the linesmakers, the bookies, they got it wrong. 
obviously it happens every once in a while, but um, they got it wrong. And I, I, we did real good with the tweeting, even from here, even from Disney. I saw Dana White. Dana White just posted one of your tweets on his Instagram story talking about the old timers saying you get the once you get the belt, you're like 30 percent better automatically. I appreciate that. Look, our our team, Rob Moore, of course, and, and Ian Mackey and Brennan Wood, there's nobody better. Par excellence. And uh, But anyway, as far as the fight, you know, I I had um the first the first round I gave it to Fazeev because of his speed. He's very explosive, very explosive, and very dangerous. Not just with his fists, but with his kicks. You know, he he he's very athletic that way. Um, and um, so anyway, I just looking at my notes here. He won the first round uh, for Z's, and his speed was the difference. And but then Gagey, as much as Z won the first round with his speed advantage. Gagey won the second round with his experience advantage and his IQ. I have to give him credit for that because these guys, we just talk about how tough they are. The top ones, they're very smart. And he, his IQ, his experience showed itself. In the second round, he adjusted immediately and he started controlling range and he used timing to negate the speed, and I talk about that a lot of times when I was doing the commentating, where the timing can negate speed. And that's exactly what he did to Fazeev. And it was bombs away. And I had tweeted, actually, another tweet where I said, we've all heard about it's raining cats and dogs, but right now, it's raining bombs, baby. And that's exactly <laughs> what it was doing. Uh, I... I also tweeted, uh, I think on one round that Fazeev gets, I had a 1-1 because of the adjustments made in the second round by by um, uh, uh, Gagey. I had a 1-1. And then in the third round, which was going to tell the story, I had tweeted that Fazeev gets a little wide sometimes with his shots. And that Gagey might be able to time him with a straight right hand inside one of those, you know, little hooks with a little fat on him. And bang, just like that, Gagey did it. And Gagey took the third round, the deciding round. He used his legs to move a little. He picked spots to pot shot. Uh, He slowed the pace by doing that, which eliminated, or at least it limited, as I said earlier, can perceive speed as Gagey... We continued to find Fazeev and continued to time him, but then he found a home for the right uppercut. And man, you don't have to tell an experienced guy like Gagey. When he finds something that's working, guess what? He's sticking to it. He's staying to it until you take it away from him. And 
you know, the way he made adjustments, quite frankly, Fazeev wasn't able to make an adjustment. He continued getting hit throughout that third round with that right uppercut. Uh, he showed great chin, great heart, because Gagey, you know, he can strike, he can bang. And uh, it was just really brilliant planning on, on the run, is the way I put it, by Gagey and tremendous performance by him. And, and a great fight by both of these lions. Like I said before, they could come to they could come here to Animal Kingdom anytime, and I'm sure that the lions would greet them. They would say, "Oh yeah, we know these guys. Welcome, welcome, brothers," uh, because they are they are they truly are the lions um, with two legs, uh, as as many of them are in the UFC. So that's that's my take on. Uh, on that one, and that leaves us where yep. you'll take us into the main event. That was the perfect uh, appetizer to set up the main event of uh, the main course of Leon Edwards, Camaro Usman, number three. And to your point, uh, the title seemed to give um, Leon Edwards the exact edge that he needed. Razor thin margin here, really close fight. Official scorecards had it 48 46 twice. 47-47 because uh, Leon also lost a point for grabbing the fence, and I thought that that was the exact right call. Kamara was about to toss him down to the ground, and Leon grabbed the fence, kept him on his feet. But, man, what a friggin' fight. It was so strategic all night long. Leon Edwards seemed to be exactly as you described, just about 30% better than he was the first time. Because if you remember, I mean, he was getting beat up for four rounds. He was losing the fight easily. Like, Usman was making it look relatively easy for a championship fight until Leon kicked him in the head. But Leon, man, he elevated this fight. He looked like they were like back and forth all night long. You, There was no big discrepancy one way or the other. If anything, it tilted slightly in the favor of Leon Edwards. Thought the judges had it right. Re really close fight. How'd you like it? I loved it. It was a great crowd. Another great crowd across the pond, as I often give them credit for. It was there. It was terrific. Great atmosphere. And Edwards, you know, I believe, you know, I'm not, like I say, I'm not always right, but I believe that what I said with that quote, that the old timers in Customato used to always tell me, Teddy, winning the title will improve you 30%. Doesn't always. Doesn't always, but with certain guys, it usually does. It will improve you 30% because 75% of this game is mental. It will improve. And sure enough, uh, you know, uh, if I was if I was a lawyer like my daughter, I, I would just say, there's exhibit A. Take a look. You know, I put the tweet out uh, that, if, you know, it would improve 30%. We're going to have to see. And we saw it definitely improved. I don't know if it was 30, 25. I don't, I don't care. It definitely made a difference. And I'll tell you what the difference is. I'm going to break it down for you real quick. The difference is what it does is that winning the title gives legitimacy in the mind of the guy who wins. In this case, Edwards. That to things that he hadn't been, you know, it just gives legitimacy in his mind the, the, the things that he hadn't been sure of before, like how good he really is. And like I said, 75% of his mental. So winning the title 
allowed Edwards to trust the ability that he always had. That's really why the old timers would say that it improved him. And, that, and that's where the tangible stuff happens. That's how it improves you. That it just makes you believe in yourself where you didn't quite get over that hump of really knowing that you're that damn good and that you belong at that level. A, a lot of people take it for granted that these guys automatically know that. They automatically feel that. No, they don't. They were born with it. No, they weren't. No, they were They developed that. They learned that. They, they went through trials and tribulations to get to that, you know, to, to forge that, to develop that, to find that out to discover that. And that's what it does. It allows you to discover the truth. Like I said, that you are that good. You can trust yourself. You can believe that. And that was the difference. That was the difference. And the other thing for me, the fight, the funny thing, Ken, both of these guys to me were mirror images of each other. They're both physically strong. They're both deliberate for the most part, with their approach, and they're technically solid. The difference really was in belief and confidence the first time where Usman believed he was better. That that was really the biggest difference. Some people say, yeah, he was physically a little stronger, but that's attached to believing too because you, whatever physicality you have, you're not going to use it to its utmost, to its maximum, unless you believe. And the opposite, you know, really to the adage that winning a title improves you is that losing and especially getting knocked out when you're the king, the way Usman was knocked out, that takes away that aura of uh, invincibility. And I think that that was at play here. I really do. That between... Winning the title for Edwards, a little more confidence, or maybe a lot more confidence. And Usman getting that that like I said, that that cloak, that cloak of invis invincibility that was about him, that was gone. Just like it was gone with Mike Tyson when when he got knocked out by Douglas. And it, it not only affects you. See, here's the trick. It not only affects you how you feel, but it affects opponents, how they feel. They don't look at you the same. You're not that guy anymore. And that that's a big part of it. That's a big, big part of it, Ken, that they're no longer as intimidated maybe or beaten before the fight to a certain point to 5%, 10%, 20%, 50% that a lot of guys were with Tyson, that they, they no longer buy into that. And I think that was at play here for – Usman and for, as I said, Edwards, where he was no longer that, you know, he was no longer that that 14 and 0 guy. I think he was 14 and 0 uh, in the UFC at that point. He was no longer that guy anymore. So uh, I think that the fight, the first round, I kind of expected Usman to lose. I'll tell you why. I thought it was going to be spent chasing the ghost from his attic. In other words, just getting his feet back on the ground after the knockout and knowing he's okay. 
And I thought it was going to take a round that he would probably lose just for that to happen. To chase the ghost. Get out of here, ghost. Just just get him out of the attic. And he lost the first round. Um, where, you know, Edwards, Edwards uh, went and kept him off balance, did what he had to do, you know, kicking, moving a little bit, you know, picking spots, uh, pot shotting. Uh, so the first round, it's one nothing. Uh, as far as, you know, as, uh, I think, I don't know that anyone would argue with that. There was a lot of close rounds. There was a lot of close rounds. But I thought he won the first round. And that third, um, the third round, as you touched on at the beginning, that the point was taken away from Edwards. You know, obviously that was a pivotal round because depending on whether you gave it to Edwards or Usman, it was a close round. You know, take, forget about the point taken away. The swing could be two points. So it's 10-8 if you think Usman won the round, or it's an even round, 9-9, if you thought Edwards won the round. So that that was a big, big that was a that was a a key round, um, that third round. But again, staying in chronological order, I had Edwards winning the first. Um, as I said, and Edwards had a great fight plan in the first round. He used his legs to kick. He also moved. He kept Usman off balance, like I said. He didn't let him get set. And I thought that it kind of showed something, at least to me, that Usman's strengths can also be his weakness. And this is what I mean by that. He's physically strong and he's technically solid, so he he needs to be set to work. And Edwards understood that, and he never let him get set. And he he took he he took away what he needed to be set to deliver. So it was one not to Edwards in the second round. Usman smartly, and I tweeted this. He used his right hand, his straight right hand, versus the southpaw stance of Edwards. It's the southpaw killer I used to always call when I was calling the fights to score. So he won the second round. Very smart. It was now 1-1. And that's when it gets tricky, as I said. The third round, that that's, you know, that's the that's the one again. You know, I said it already. You could argue Usman won it, then make it in a 10-8 with the point deduction against Edwards. At the end of the day, close round. I always got to be, you know, transparent with what I think. Uh, I love Edwards. He's been on our show. I thought Usman probably had the edge in that round. Okay? I thought he probably had the edge. So that that would give him a 10-8 if, if that was the case. Then the fourth round, Usman continued doing what he was doing, applying great pressure and feeling better about himself. But Edwards did a good job moving and picking spots to pot shot. Again, a very close round, Ken. Um, very close. I went in to the fifth round in the last round tweeting, Edwards needs, really needs a good last round. And he got it. He did it. He delivered. And that's where, that's where the, that's where winning the title, the 30% came in. Right there. Because 
He behaved like a champion. He felt he was a champion. He felt I'm a champion. I got to go and freaking behave like a champion. And that was it. That was the fight right there. He took the fifth round. If he got the fight and he didn't win that round, I'd be out there yelling, Usman got robbed. Now, I know there's a lot of people that think Usman got robbed. And there's a lot of people that think Edwards won. It was that kind of fight. And I can't argue with either one. Yeah, that's right. I can't argue with either one of you want to say it. But I could I could be comfortable with Edwards winning because he went out in that fifth round, did what he had to do. He took that fifth round. He took that fifth round when he had to take it. Now, listen, did being at home, did home cooking not help him a little bit? Listen, I'll say this. I don't know, but I'll say this. It didn't hurt him. I'll say that. It sure as hell didn't hurt him. But I don't know if it helped him. But all I know is he earned the right to be at home by knocking out Usman the way he did the invincible Usman at that time, which people were calling him pound for pound, number one. Pound for pound, number one. And um, Shavayev, am I pronouncing this right? Uh, is that name right? Uh, Shavayev. Uh, Chemayev. Shavayev. Excuse me, might be number one now. I love Volkanovski. There's a few of them out there, but at that time they would say Usman. You couldn't argue. Yeah, you couldn't argue. Exactly. He knocked him out, so he gets to go and you know get make the money at home um, and defend the title uh, against a former champion. Look again. He behaved like the champion. He did what he had to do. He took that last round. Um, I give credit to both. They both behave like champions, as long as I'm using that term. Yeah. I was I was honestly thinking that a draw might be coming. I was. Yeah. I was thinking a draw might be oh, coming. Oh, for sure. With the with the with the point deduction, I was thinking the same thing. And that Edwards would, you know, keep the title with the draw. And um again, you know, uh was it you know, were they happy they were at home? Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure that they were they were happy, but at the end of the day, I know some people will argue with the four takedowns that Edwards should have won, but here's where I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to break that down, even though it doesn't matter. That's not my expertise. Striking, punching is my ex but I can talk about this part of it, that, yeah, Edwards got the geography that of the case that benefited him the most, right, on the mat. That's what he wanted, right? You mean Usman? Uh, Usman, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, he got it. But yeah. here's the thing. He didn't do enough with it. Exactly. When he got it, he didn't make the most of it. Where he didn't finish. Now, credit also. Credit to the to the takedown defense of Edwards. Tremendous. Yep. Tremendous. Tremendous. How quickly... Not only did he prevent it from going further, but how quickly he got back to his feet. Unbelievable. Great. Yep. So I, I give him credit for that. But look, he gets credit for the takedowns, but he didn't do enough. And I actually put a new name to those takedowns. You know what I called them? <laughs> what? No, no. Quiet takedowns. Yeah. I think it's appropriate. No, I agree. You got to give a lot of credit to the guy if you get the takedown and you and the, and the other guy who gets taken down nullifies it and gets back up and you don't do anything except exert a ton of energy. 
it's basically a neutral move. And and that's number one. And then number two, even when he was applying the pressure that he talked about, when he was walking him down, and you know he kept coming in right uh, during the rounds, he wasn't doing much with actually wasn't moving his hands. You know, I thought both guys could have used their jab more, but he wasn't punching or kicking enough while he was doing that. In the meantime, Edwards was using the ring, kicking, picking spots, you know, pot shotting, you know, as I said, being mobile, keeping him more balanced. But I just didn't think that when he was applying the pressure, doing his thing, Usman does that. He's the boss. He applies pressure. And he's physically strong, right? But when he was doing it, he wasn't making enough out of it. He wasn't moving those hands enough. And again, here's a case where I think his style, his greatness, the things that are assets for him, actually became negatives for him. Yeah. Where he's patient. He's delivered, right? He doesn't waste anything. Those are usually assets. They've always won for him. But at times, he's almost too patient, too deliberate, doesn't waste anything. It, it backfires on him where he can be outworked. And as I said, again, his strengths become his weaknesses where he's so solid technically and he doesn't do anything wrong. He's just steady and solid, no frills. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't waste anything, as I said, but he also doesn't always do enough. His temperament of being even counted, it can hurt him. And that he's just doing enough and he stays in his lanes, Ken, you know, where there's going to be no accidents for the most part. He had that one accident last fight, but the fight before. But for the most part, he stays in his lane. He's not going to have an accident. But sometimes, you know, there's cars pass going to pass you if you stay in your lane. <laughs> you know, and you got to leave your lane to make sure that a car don't pass you. So, again, it's, I'm not knocking. He's a great, great champion. He's one of the greatest of all times, maybe the greatest welterweight of all time, or at least one of them. There's no doubt about it. But I think that it worked against him in that way. And that's why I think you could give it to Edwards. As I said, and I even made a note to myself that, and again, I'm not knocking him. I'm just giving some I'm, – I'm giving – analogies that can give a descriptive picture of what I'm of what I'm saying where Usman reminds me sometimes of a boiling pot of water but there's no rice in it now a boiling pot of water is beautiful that's great it's a boiling pot of water but sometimes you need a boiling pot of rice Sometimes you need to put rice in the boiling water so you have a pot of rice instead of just boiling water. He, he, he was boiling, 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 but he never gets to the rice. <laughs> you know, and he doesn't finish. He doesn't do what you expect him to do 
with all that pressure, with all that talent. He doesn't do that extra something. It's always been enough. Like I said, it's always been a straight because he doesn't screw anything up. He doesn't give anything away. But sometimes he don't take anything away from you. When he needed to take the title away this time, he needed to take something away. And he just didn't quite, again, a lot of people are going to say, Teddy, uh, I thought he won. I get it. I get you thinking he won. But for me, that's the way I I see it. I think they both fought great. And as I said, I, I understand arguing Usman could have gotten it. But I also think Edwards fought a really smart fight, more confident. He took that. He was moving. He was mixing in the kicks and the strikes, you know, uh, defending the takedowns. And then what did he do? He won the fifth round. So I applaud them both. I I also want to applaud them both for being class acts. They both, to me, they're both champions. Good, Ken. That's it. Great fight. Uh, before we sign off and let you get back out there to uh, to the family, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Fury Usyk. They continue to go back and forth. Usyk saying uh, there's no rematch clause like we talked about last week. Then Usyk sends a message uh, I saw just today. I don't know when he sent it, but I saw it this morning where he said, look, the rematch clause is coming from your side. Stop with the game playing. Sign the contract. So they're both going back and forth playing games. I mean, listen, from what we know of uh Fury, he's a showman. He talks a lot. What we know about Usyk is that he's all business. So if 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 we're going by to the court of public opinion, I tend to think that Usyk will bend over backwards to do anything to get the fight made. He's already accepted only thirty percent to Fury seventy percent. I think Usyk has his eyes on a bigger bigger picture whereas hey if i win the fight i'll determine who gets 70 30 going forward and as the undisputed heavyweight champ with all the belts he'll have more than enough opportunity to make as much money more money than he'll ever need that's for sure and uh but interesting uh interesting uh theatrics going on there what do you think fight gonna get made yes or no I think we have um, great sound bites i think we have great videos i i think some of those video clips uh should get put out on uh, other forums and other platforms because they're pretty, they're pretty, they're pretty funny. They're pretty good. They're, they, they, they are. I mean, when, when you see Uzik, a very serious, staunch looking guy, right? When you see Uzik standing there saying, hello, greedy, b- greedy body, greedy, greedy, greedy belly, <laughs> greedy belly. Uh, hello, greedy belly. Uh, you stop the games, greedy belly. Uh, you the one who brought rematch clause, uh, greedy belly. Be a man, greedy belly, and sign, greedy belly. I mean that stuff. That that <laughs> stuff is is pretty good. It's pretty entertaining. But look, or at the end of the day, there's one thing that did catch me. Some verbiage there, and again, it's verbiage, so you don't know. Uh, you don't know what Fury's words are more truthful than than Uzik's. I get what you're saying, though. That Uzik's more of a serious guy. You can tend to believe him, maybe, maybe because Fury is is more of the promotional guy and uh, and uh, you know uh, a little bit of the showman, all that stuff. But there was one line there that Uzik kind of caught me. It made it it made sense to me. It, it perked my ears up. When he said, I just, I just have to have 
all the belts. Bang! Mm-hmm. Bang! When I heard that, I was like, that, 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 that sounds, it speaks to truth. It sounds to truth. That, that's, you know, power to words, whatever that saying is, you know, speaking to power to words. Uh, I, truth to power. Truth to power. That, for me, that was like truth to power. Where, again, I, I'm not saying this one is, is the truthful one, that one's the liar. I'm not saying. The, the truth is always somewhere in the middle, as they say. I get it. But you asked me a question. The fans are asking me questions, too. That, that For that part of it, that when he said, like, it ain't about the money, it ain't about the rematch. I gave you what you wanted. I gave you. I have to have all the belts. In my mind, he now represents the hope of Ukraine. I know he's not out there with a gun. I get it. And there's people out there dying with guns. But it's his country. And he is, he, I believe, obviously he's patriotic. Uh, you would not believe that. But I believe that the, he's still in Ukraine. He's still over there. He, I believe that he really sees himself as a symbol to a certain extent uh, to the people that has to give them hope. They have to have something. Their country is being destroyed by the minute. They have to have something to have hope. And that he looks at himself as that vision of hope. That we, we, we don't quit. We don't give up. We fight. We fight on. We fight on because we are champions. And I think that he attaches to that a little. And when he said that again, it made me like, I, I was like, let me listen to that again. I don't care about these things. I have to, have to. He used that word. I have to have all belts. I must have all belts. I was like, oh, shoot. That's the most powerful thing out of all this back and forth stuff that I've heard. And I'll finish with this for the people that want to expand on me to expand on my opinion on this. I'll just say this, that the big difference here, besides that, you know, Fury's already made enough money and Fuse has made a lot of money too, but Fury's already made enough of, you know, forget about it. I mean, he, he could go hang out with the pharaohs that got buried in Egypt with, with uh, you know, tons of gold and uh, so they could go into the afterlife. He's got enough, if there is an afterlife, he's got enough gold to go into the afterlife for take care of a lot of people. But when you are Fury with, and you can fight and you have the option of fighting guys like like Dayan White and Shazora at 40 whatever, two years old, and making millions of dollars and 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 filling arenas to fight those guys, and you can still do it and make millions of dollars on top of the millions you already made when you have that option, you know what? I don't know if I believed your side as much as I do. It's only because of that, because you can go and play a little bit more room to play games. Maybe he's not ready. Maybe it's just that he, he needs more time to get in shape. Maybe there's stuff going on. He's had emotional 
crises in his life. I give him all the credit, all the credit in the world that he overcame those things. He was spiraling down, down the, down the tubes, right? He was, he was thinking about killing himself. He was involved with drugs and with, with mental, uh, obviously mental, uh, 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 where, where he was depressed, serious, serious depression, all kinds of problems, and he came out of it, and he won the title. He got off the floor against Wilder. Unbelievable. Uh, he deserves credit for all of that, and he's getting credit for it, and he's getting paid because of it. But when you now have the options of being able to be over there across the pond where they will come out and watch you, 90,000, 80,000, make your number, 60,000 people will come out and fill an arena to fight the guy that really serves the Guinness in the pub over there. I mean, I'm joking. I mean, it's not the guy that serves the Guinness, but close. They, I think if they did get a guy, a big enough, tough enough guy that served Guinness and they put him in there, I think that at least 30,000 would come out for that. I think no so. No question. Yeah. So when you got that... <laughs> When you got that kind of situation and the option that you can fight anybody and get paid millions, you know what? I'm not saying he's playing games, but you can play games. You you could you could fool around a little bit more because you could always go and do that. Uzik doesn't have that option. He can't do that. He can't do that. And that's it for you people out there. That's what I base my thoughts on. I look for tangible stuff. I, I, and for me, that's the most tangible stuff I can give you when you're asking for my opinion. Uzik doesn't have to, he's got to fight this guy. He's got to fight this guy to get his signature fight, to get his belts, whatever else you want to talk about, that money comes after, whatever. But he has to have this guy. The other guy doesn't. I think the fight will eventually get made. I do. But... I think we're going to, you know, have to play a little bit more, you know, musical chess, baby. You know, I don't know. But. Well, that was a pretty good wrap up of uh, of an awesome weekend for the UFC. Quiet for boxing. But uh, we got a cracker next weekend. Like we discussed earlier, head over to mybookie.ag. Use the promo code Atlas if you want to put a small wager. And listen, I like <laughs> plant. I like, but. I like plant too. It's not about liking people. Facts are facts. Yeah. Well, it's about my opinion. My opinion, you know, is not locked into stone, but it's my opinion. And I base That's it right. on on my experience and, and, the, and the facts as I see them and as I know them. And as I know them and as I see them, I would bet the under. That's it. Teddy, go enjoy the rest of the time in Disney. Thank you for doing this while you're on vacation. Give my best congratulations to Nicole Atlas Esquire. Third time. Wow. Awesome. Happy for you, man. That's really beautiful. I know you're happy. And uh, that's what it's all about. So blessed, blessed, blessed. And, um, the only thing is they've been living with us for three years because when COVID <laughs> hit, they sold their house yep. in Vail, New Jersey. Beautiful. They moved in for a couple months. It's been three years. They're still with us. <laughs> and now they bought a house in Rumson, New Jersey. And they're moving, I guess, in October. And you know what? 
Now I say to them, you guys can move, but the kids got to stay. <laughs> That's right. I don't know what I'm going to do without those kids in my house. But anyway, we'll deal with that when we get to it. Right now, you know what I got to deal with? Mickey Mouse is yelling. He wants me. I got to go and answer the call. Go get him, Teddy. Have a great week. Enjoy yourself. Congrats to Nicole. And we will be with you guys next week. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Looking good. Looking good.